shall be your ease. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Iftchecker, a medieval historian, and today I'm here with returning guest Marissa Macias to talk about 2006 film The Fountain. So, Marissa, welcome. Thank you. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about uh, why you agreed to talk about this particular movie? I'm Marissa. I live in Brooklyn, New York. I like movies. In fact, that's how I know Sarah is that we're fans of the same movie podcast. Mm-hmm. And I had done this once before and I was like, oh, we should do this again. And when you suggested this is one of the options, I was like, Hugh Jackman, he's great. I like him. Yeah. Rachel Weiss, she's great. I like her. I'll watch that one. So that was the decision process, not too uh, complex, but I'm glad I chose it because truly a strange film. Yeah, this is a weird movie. So yeah, <laughs> we are talking about 2006 film, The Fountain, directed by Darren Aronofsky, starring Hugh Jackman as uh, several roles, uh, Tomas Verde, Tommy Creo, and uh, somebody who is described as in the credits that I saw as Space Tom. Mm. <laughs> And also has Rachel Weiss as Isabella the First of Castile and Izzy Creo. Mm-hmm. I think they're both doing their level best with a weird, weird with script. What they got, yep. they did what they could. Yep. We've got Ellen Burstyn, who's in like a bunch of things as Lillian Guzzetti. And she's uh, amazing. Mark, this was the so best role I've ever seen her in, but I do love no. her. Yeah. yeah, no, she's good. And uh, Mark Margolis as uh, Father Avila, and uh, he is Hector Salamanca in uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, well, this was before that, yeah? Yes, yeah. But he's very, and he's in, like, he does look older in those, but like, he's very good in those, mm-hmm. in that role. And he's, he doesn't really have much to do, but it was fun seeing him, I guess. So this is like a pretty good cast. And so you might think, wow, this is a good movie. But you would be a little bit wrong. Yeah. And I saw this movie in theaters with my mom in Mm. 2006, you know, when it came out. I remember literally nothing about that experience or the movie. I don't remember if I liked it. I did not find anything that took place in the movie to be familiar to me. No idea. I mean, that sounds about right, honestly. Yep. (laughs) I don't think I had any awareness of this movie when it came out, or maybe I did and I was like, look strange and didn't see it. I don't remember, but I did not see it. So this was a fun viewing for me. And also, so do you have opinions about Darren Aronofsky? Because I think I do, and I don't think they're entirely good hmm i don't think i have strong opinions i I think i kind of had a he's done some things i think he's all right i wouldn't call this if this is the best that he's done then maybe that's pretty damning but i don't know Uh, what have you seen that has given you a sort of a mixed impression so i like black swan yeah i like black swan so there's that 
Um, I think I refused to see Mother. Mm, fair. And also refused to see the whale. Yeah, and I refused to see the whale. So there's that. Oh, there's Requiem for a Dream, which I saw and don't remember. Maybe that's what's what he should be known for. A movie you saw and don't remember. Right. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how I feel about him. I guess I I also oh, I saw the wrestler. Mm. Wrestler is good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I just have like weird feelings about him and I don't I don't think this was very good. <laughs> uh I Rachel Weiss was married to him. Oh. Or no, they were engaged and they had a child and then they broke up in November 2010. So I wonder if this is when they were together. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess that makes sense given that she's like the weird like sex object of this film. Yeah, that's that's a fun <laughs> thing to do with your significant other, I guess. Yep. And I don't know, I, I felt in all of his films, like there's like kind of some weird gender stuff going on. So there's yeah. some weird gender stuff going on. I'm also I'm looking at a little bit about him. Apparently he studied film and social anthropology at Harvard before oh. studying directing at the AFI. So I guess he and I have a little bit of that in common, although I can't say that after the social anthropology classes I took, I would think to make this movie. So no, no, this no, isn't the direction. I, that's gone. not the direction I would have gone in personally. <laughs> So now we can attempt to get into the plot of this film. Yes. So there are three different timelines. There is the timeline in, I think it's meant to be late 15th, early 16th century Spain. Mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman in that timeline plays a conquistador named Tomas Verde. Tom Green, I guess. Sure. Tom Green. And Rachel Weisz plays Queen Isabella I of Castile, mm -hmm. who is the, uh, the victim of the Spanish Inquisition, which I will talk about in an immense amount of depth over the course of this episode. I'm not an expert on the Spanish Inquisition, but I was like, I don't think that's what happens. Oh, no. Oh, no. That doesn't seem right at all, but okie doke. Yeah, so that is the pre-modern timeline, which justifies this film's appearance on this podcast. Yes. There's also, and oh, and the, the reason, the reason the Inquisition is after Queen Isabella I of Castile mm -hmm. is because she wants to find the tree of life, which she believes to be in the Americas, so that she can, you know, achieve immortality. And the Inquisition thinks this is bad. Right. Because I guess it's too powerful, more powerful than God is the weak argument they're making for why she's bad right and that like death is like part of god's plan and so if you're trying to defeat death then that is counter to what god wants for us sure okay i mean fair argument yep 
Yep. And or, I guess you know, like it could in, be just like misuse of resources. Like, why are we spending all our that? tax money sending this guy to New Spain to go looking for now, a tree? That Maybe would be we a valid spend some money on some other things right here. Right. That that would be a valid critique. But mm -hmm. you know, it's it is not that is not the argument that they are making. No. Um <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, in terms of the uh, resources of what they're like usually trying to do in New Spain, like none of it's good. So rarely it was for social good, I assume. No, no. The other timeline is that Hugh Jackman plays Tommy Creo and his wife, Izzy, also Rachel Weiss, mm -hmm. has some sort of terminal cancer. Brain cancer, I assume. Brain cancer, yes, because the monkeys have brain cancer. Right, right. And then uh, he is like a medical researcher, I guess. Yes, and is trying to and is trying to find a cure for brain cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're doing all of these tests on monkeys. Mm -hmm. And uh, as he is grappling not particularly well with his wife's impending death, they uh, like on a whim inject something made from the bark of some tree right on some whim for some reason they had this idea i feel like this idea was floating around in the 90s that like a cure for cancer was hidden in some plant in the forest and that's right. why we have to stop deforestation is because we could have destroyed a tree with the cure for cancer in it uh -huh. and this really just ran with that idea very yep. far yep because yeah they inject this monkey and like first the monkey starts to like de-age essentially and then spoiler alert eventually the tumor does start shrinking mm -hmm. in this monkey like, the explanation in the movie is odd for why this works, but I don't know. Not the most science-y thing I've ever heard of, but... Especially because it seems inconsistent with what eventually then happens to Tomas Verde, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Bitch! <laughs> yeah. So um, there's the, the past, and then there's the present-ish, or present 2006, or whatever it is. Right. And then there's the future where mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman, and it's unclear to me if it's meant to be like the same Hugh Jackman or like just older or a distant Hugh Jackman in a far more, a different Hugh Jackman in a far more like distant future. Yeah. But it's I... the same Hugh Jackman. And he's kind of got like connections. Like they're all kind of connected to one another because Izzy, the dying wife, is writing a book, and the book is the story in the 15th, 16th century. Sure. So maybe maybe Izzy's to blame for all the historical inaccuracies. She just really took creative license with her fiction book. That's my assumption. Um, I will mm -hmm. say I have thoughts about the fact also that, like, so Rachel Weiss, uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the character's like religious identity is meant to be, but Rachel Weiss is of course a Jewish actress. And I have mm -hmm. like so many thoughts uh, given what the Inquisition was like actually doing about yeah. being, like Jewish woman who's like, yay, Isabella. Choices were made. <laughs> Choices. Yeah. So in the distant future timeline now, Space Tom which is Hugh Jackman, but bald now. Mm -hmm. It's bearded Hugh Jackman, regular Hugh Jackman, and bald Hugh Jackman, basically. Right, right. So, yeah, so bald future Hugh Jackman 
now has the tree of life mm-hmm. and is like in the tree of lo- in this like weird globe with the tree of life and is taking it up to the like nebula which is like the mayan underworld right to cure it because it's dying to cure the tree yes okay i think i think he wants the tree because he seems really concerned about the tree dying he does i I think that's what i have i i wasn't certain about this first of all i was like i can't even tell if this is supposed to be the future or if this is like him transcending reality existing outside of time and space (laughs) That's fair. Um, which, I mean, they don't have a clock or a calendar, so maybe. No. Um, and he has visions of the dead wife, but I'm not sure if he has visions of the dead wife because he is the same guy or because it's just this, like, weird connection between these, like... Connected. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. I kind of... I interpreted it as him being the same guy that he, like, somehow found the tree and has been alive for forever or something but like as the doctor and now is bald spaceman but um right that may not be accurate they don't show it so you have to make your own decisions about what you think is going on there i think i'd incline toward the same thing but i also think that it is incredibly ambiguous so you know i don't i don't want to give the reader or the listener the impression that this is like clear no i mean the director (laughs) cannot be responsible for the viewer's experience right so yeah so there's like in the present the Mm -hmm. deal is basically right he's he's trying to find the cure for cancer because he's Mm -hmm. so busy trying to find the cure for cancer he is spending like no time with his dying wife right like it begins with him snapping at her like she's like come take a walk with me in the first snow and he's like no i'm busy trying to do this um right which is a nice way to treat your wife who has perhaps days left right and it's like you're you're not handling any of this in a very healthy way there's also like a lot of like she like is losing sensation in her limbs and so like she goes or like losing like sensitivity to hot and cold and so like there's this whole bit where she's like outside for too long and he has to like bring her into like the hot bath so she can like not get frostbite or whatever Um, And then they have this, like, sex scene in the bath that looks like the most physically uncomfortable, like, act of sex I can possibly imagine. Uh, First of all, she's dying of cancer, so I don't know what state her body was in, but I wouldn't imagine that's, like, a situation in which you're feeling super sexy. Right? First of all. Second of all, it's a bath. And she looks good for someone. You might think, like, oh, good, moisture is good. Washes away a lot of that natural moisture that you would need for something like Mm -hmm. that. And then thirdly, very awkward shape of bathtub. Very awkward. Yes. And he's she's naked, but he's fully clothed. She's all wet. She's losing sensation. Just like take her out and dry her off first, at least. Like be a considerate lover. Though she does instigate it. Well, I guess. But she's making lots of poor choices. Everybody's making poor choices. I don't know. She's maybe they're pressed for time. They're like, we got to do this right here. We don't have time to move. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, sexy, very sexy. And she, meanwhile, has like come to terms with her mortality because of a arguably misinterpretation of like Mayan mythology about death yeah. in the underworld. Yeah, she she's really come up kind of with her own version of what it is. 
And I guess, right. you know, uh, far be it for me to take that away from her and making peace with her own mortality. However, the movie does not present it in any way that is critical. Yeah, and there is also something that is kind of icky about this, like, white woman appropriating a misunderstanding of indigenous mythology in order to, like, make herself feel better. It's it's all kind of weird. Yeah. I don't actually even know how much of this is at all based on any facts. Like, is Shababa the name for the Mayan underworld? I don't know. Is it associated with actually a golden nebula? I don't know. Like, I'm like, any of this is up for grabs. Like, some of these may be facts, some of them may not be. I'll, uh, I'll get to some of that. Yeah. I did I did some research, although but I was it's not like, quite well, my area. But I'll just loosely accept that it's right-ish. There's, yeah, when I was watching, I was like, sure, I looked some stuff up and I didn't quite yeah. get, like, everything. And as I said, not not quite my area, but, like, it's definitely not quite. Yeah. It's like a very, I would say it's an overly optimistic, I'll get into more details more later, but it's kind mm-hmm. of an overly optimistic take on the Mayan concept of the underworld relative yeah. to, like, what we actually have based on texts. Yeah. So Izzy also is, like, writing is writing a book and the book is about this whole like Isabella of Castile being victimized by the inquisition for a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how like her conquistador Tomas, she is going to send off to the Americas to go and find the tree of life. Mm-hmm. Also in modern day, at some point when he's like working on the, cancerous monkey she calls him a conquistador and i'm like yeah you not know what that means right i'm like i am pretty sure that in like so let's see 2006 was one year after i graduated high school Mm -hmm. and i am pretty sure that already when i was in high school we did like critical discussions about how actually like the conquistadors are not great people yeah like i'm pretty sure we were doing that already in the early 2000s my middle school mascot was a conquistador, and I Ooh. had not great feelings about that. Right. So I feel like people knew by 2006 that, like, yay conquistadors was, like, a problematic move. Yeah. But I guess not she didn't. Darren Aaron, or and, and uh, maybe Darren Aronofsky didn't, apparently. I guess not is my sense because it seems like they're meant to be just lovely people yeah there's also these like weird romantic sexual vibes between tomas and queen isabella which also like aggressively (laughs) the existence of her husband yeah i mean if you were gonna be a woman who could have an affair being a very powerful woman probably put you in the best position to be able to do that Although, I guess we're just supposed to think there is no husband at all. Right, right. So Which is funny because, and then the fact, also, like her what? marriage is also the only reason why Spain exists as like a country as opposed to like a couple of different countries. Yeah, so that's strange. And then yep. also, they don't show us enough about their relationship for us to understand why they might be sort of enamored with each other yeah Um, but she definitely says something to him like then you'll come back and we'll live forever like the two of them yeah and she's like like, i'll be your 
just yeah. like us too. Yeah. And she's just... like, I'll be your Eve because there's this like whole bit about how like the tree of life is specifically like the tree of life that's mentioned in Genesis that was like in the Garden of Eden that like right. then they had to leave behind when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Right. Which also was a strange offer. Like, do you mean before the garden when they didn't know they were naked and they were just two, the only two people on earth hanging around eating fruit? I guess. I guess guess it's like that because I'll be the only people who are immortal, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's not the worst, but it doesn't sound very interesting. And also, like, I would like to note in terms of her, like, immortality, but just for, like, the two of us, it'll be nice and cozy. Uh, Not only does this woman have a husband, she, I mean, I don't know exactly how old she's supposed to be, but eventually, like, she's got, like, a lot of kids. Well, if you're, if that husband doesn't exist in this timeline, then neither do those children, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I guess. Because, yeah, there's, there's, there's a number of them. Mm. The first wife of Henry VIII is actually one of, one of their kids. Oh, lucky her. Catherine of Aragon, yeah. Didn't didn't work out well for her, but uh, No, it didn't. But uh, she is she is that she is indeed one of their children. Interesting. I didn't know that, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Izzy dies. Right. Tom Just as continues. they're making real progress on this cancerous monkey, she dies. Right. Tommy continues to make poor life choices, like uh, tattooing his wedding ring onto, like, so he'd lost his wedding ring and that was a whole thing. And so, like, but he has the, like, mark on his finger of, like, you know, like, where the wedding ring, like, used to be. And he, like, tattoos that into his skin. Oh, and then Space Tom also has that, which I think maybe you think it was the same person. Right. That's part of why I thought it was the same person. He also tattoos it with the fountain pen that she gave him to yes. finish writing the book. And an important thing to remember is that she's writing this book, not as someone in 2006 might write it on a laptop, but no, no fountain pen in a leather notebook. And also her like handwriting is very old timey, which good for her. What beautiful yeah. penmanship. But I just don't think as someone who has friends who are fiction writers, published fiction writers, mm-hmm. that handwriting with a beautiful pen and a beautiful notebook is the most efficient way to right. write and edit a, a novel. Especially the editing part. Like, I have, like, you know, I'm not, like, published, but I have, like, dabbled in fiction writing. I also know people who are, like, fiction writers in a more professional way. And, like, I certainly do a lot of, like, writing in terms of, like, academic writing. Mm -hmm. An immense amount of the writing process is, like, editing, which Mm -hmm. I, like, is not going to look great if you're, like, writing it all out in a fountain pen and then have to, like, cross a bunch of stuff out. Like, yeah, like, like, old-timey, like, with a quill she wasn't even double spacing. There was no room yeah. to write, make notes or edits. So it's a weird power to her, I guess, but weird choice. She's a confident yeah. writer, just like James Joyce, yep. first word, right word, you know? Yep. Yeah. And then for him, I was like, first of all, I'm like curious and concerned about like the sterilization level of this fountain yeah. pen. Um. I don't think it was great. I mean, when you're grieving people make strange choices and mm-hmm. that's not in a particularly destructive one although i guess it could yeah. have really given him a pretty bad infection but i guess it's fine we don't see any i guess signs of gangrene at any point so i guess it's nope. just fine 
Yep. The other thing that I was absolutely thinking, and you know, this, mm-hmm. I suppose this does seem like a guy who's maybe like not going to get over this really well, but I just like was absolutely thinking of like, I mean, you're pretty young. If you ever decide you want to get date, you want to like date again, like that's going to be an awkward conversation. Yeah. Or you're just going to always wear gloves. Or you're going to wear a bunch of makeup on your finger. I don't know. Right. Like, that's like a hard, like, I don't know. I feel like I would take that as like a hard red flag that this guy is never going to be over his dead wife. No. I mean, can you imagine going out with a guy and you're, you're like, um, what's that about? And he's like, oh, uh, you know, my wife passed away. And you're like, oh, and you you got matching tattoo rings. How sweet. And he's like, no, no, I did it after she died. Yep. And yeah. Like, I would be like. Yeah. Okay. Seems like we're not a match. Best of yeah. luck to you, though. I, I think that would be the only date. That's the only red flag, though. Everything else is fine. Oh, um, no. Otherwise, otherwise, he seems great. Very healthy. Experimental makes good life brain choices. surgery on monkeys with remnants of trees from South America. Well, he Excellent. yells at his dying wife. Yeah. Also, his boss tells him to go spend time with her. Typical boss employee right? relationships to really get involved in their you know relationship yeah Uh, those dynamics were weird because also izzy seems like she's buddy buddy with his boss who is ellen burston because she asks this woman can i be buried on your farm which also by the way is a weird request like i do not know how i would handle a like it's not like a pet i do not know how i would handle if i like owned property a like human person asking can i be buried on your property like were they supposed to be really old friends and if so why do we see none of that anyway she asks her husband's boss to be buried on the farm to which the answer is yes because that's not weird nope and then also at the funeral the boss speaks again Mm -hmm. were i to suddenly pass away to have my partner's employer speak about my life (laughs) feels like a weird choice by all parties who made that decision really bizarre we also see that tomas has now shown up in the americas all of his like people that came with him are like annoyed and you know sort of like basically mutiny against him. Uh, I will note one of them is this like dude with a turban who seems mm-hmm. like he's meant to be like token Muslim. I don't think it ever says the word Muslim, and I'm mm. not totally sure what this person's name is or if it was ever said out loud. Yeah, but that also was like a move in the wider context of the late 15th and 16th century Iberian Peninsula, as I will discuss in a bit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, hmm. Oh, I, before the thought passes from my brain, I did want to point out going a step back that Rachel Weiss asking Ellen Burstyn to be buried on her farm when she dies passes the Bechdel test. So, Oh God, it does. Um, it does. So congrats. <laughs> Congrats to this movie. It technically passes the Bechdel test. Technically. Uh, This movie that has three women and two of them are the same woman. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Still manages just barely by the skin of its teeth. Just barely. So in the Mayan jungle, they're all like panicking. A lot of them are quitting. 
he kind of pressures some of them to stay. One of them ends up at some point killing the, uh, there's like the Franciscan friar, Father Avila, who is like yeah. the one leading them there. Like he gets killed, but right before he gets killed, he like tells Tomas like that he's finally figured out where to go so that Tomas yeah. can go and do his thing. Sure. Also the way that they figure it out, you know, like with the map and the sword with the holes in it and like. It's it's very weird and makes no sense and is based on nothing. I mean, I feel like if I had a sword with four holes over it, I could overlay it over a bunch of different maps. I'm and sure. A lot of conclusions about where a secret tree might be hidden. I don't know how they decided to do it that way, but whatever. Yep. I mean, this is it's like kind of how I feel about like the weird map thing that they did in the uh, last of the new Star Wars trilogy is that they're like, well, there's like the map is this like weird metal thing that you have to like line up right with like a ship on a particular planet i'm like what if the ship like move like shifted position slightly and then you're just screwed yeah i i don't know i guess just you know you have to rely on fate i don't know yep yep so yeah tomas gets like stat he's like battling this mayan priest and what I'm sure is an excellent representation. Mm, uh, I, I have some doubts. Priest. But I am yep. not an expert. Uh, but I was just like, well, that looks like exactly what I would think a stereotype of a Mayan uh-huh. priest might look like. So, yep. okay. Yep, that was, that was my feeling. Uh, so, yeah, he stabs him. But, like, then there's basically this, like, whole thing where... He decides he is, like, the first father who, like, birthed all of life through his death or something. The Mayan priest thinks Hugh Jackman is the first. This white dude. Basically, like, the origin of all human life. Yeah. Sure. And also, when he sees him, he kind of turns into bald space Tom. Right. Who is, like, coming to doing shit with the tree in his little bubble thingy. Yeah, so that's weird. Also, maybe why I thought they were the same person, because I'm like, well, he yeah. can turn into a, his future self or something. So then he, yes, yeah, right. so is like, oh, I didn't recognize you. Yeah. There you are. So then Shamas enters the place where the tree of life is. He, mm-hmm. like, stabs the tree and the sap comes out. The sap is uh, upsettingly milky. Yeah, I feel like they made it look like semen on purpose to yep. like, yep, make a statement about being the father of all things or just to yeah. be gross. I don't know. Yeah, but... I'm not sure. I was. I wasn't here for it. I don't think I was here for it. No, sap is usually yellow. It makes no sense. Yeah, so and not milky. Thinks... No, no, it is not milky and white like that. No, it's. And it's like a really like viscous texture. It's it's, it's it was lot. upsetting. Yeah. So he thinks it's like working because he applies it to his wound and his wound heals and then he drinks a bunch. Uh, then what I was the only th- scene in the movie where I was just like, this is just genuinely hilarious. Although I'm not sure it was meant to be. Uh, then like bushes, like f- flowering bushes uh, sprout out of his wound and out of his mouth and he is consumed by them. Yes. So that's interesting. So then I was like, so is that actually supposed to be like the prophecy, like fulfilling itself? Like he's yes. becoming the first father again and giving origin to life? Or is it I, just 
Like, that's what happens when you steal the sap of the tree of life. I was unclear what I'm assuming, they were assuming. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to figure that out, especially because also, like, that doesn't happen to the monkey. And no. we see, like, bald space Tom. He's taking sap from the tree. And he seems to be fine. And in fact, that even if he is the same like guy as like regular Hugh Jackman in approximately 2006. And that explains why even if it's a distant future, he could still be alive potentially. Right. But none of them are drinking the sap though. Like the monkey gets like part of the plant and then Mm. the space time is eating the bark. So maybe the sap is. Maybe that's the problem. You just need to like know, you need to like know the right way to do it. But like, I was trying to figure out stab the tree which i thought was yeah i did too but i was trying to figure out like what like if that was supposed to be a moral message because up until then it was like they were acting like he was a great guy yeah so i don't know what that i don't it was supposed to be like that's what you get for messing with immortality then fair enough except it seemed like it was supposed to be a good thing up until then right so it seemed very contradictory to yeah. me. I do think you should be more respectful to the tree of mortality, though. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. But as I said, yeah. I just like found it odd in terms of like, why does the movie like go that route with this guy who, as I said, up until that point, they'd been like, he seems great. I don't know. It it was weird. Yeah. But yes, he did not seem like he sufficiently respected the tree of life. Yeah. So the tree in its space bubble like mm-hmm. dies right before it rece- it like gets to the nebula but then like space tom has like an experience about like accepting death and there's also yeah. like a whole like bit where then it goes back and like a version of him like decides to go on the walk instead of being a dick yeah his dying wife and then there's like a whole thing where then like they like i don't know plants a tree on her grave in this poor woman's backyard yeah so okay so i have a lot of questions okay so he's in outer space with this tree in a bubble yes and he's like eating pieces of the bark trying to keep himself alive and then also trying to keep the tree alive one way to keep the tree alive is to stop eating the bark there's a suggestion right um it doesn't seem like it helps the tree i mean the tree was in trouble like, but taking the bark yeah. certainly isn't this doesn't seem like it's doing any good for the tree and then yeah. so he's trying to get there and then he like i guess it's supposed to be like the way that izzy came to terms with her mortality he tries to do right then which also makes me feel like it was the same guy like he's been dodging death for centuries and he's like no and he's like well maybe i can do it the way she did all those years ago right Um, but which i'm not sure totally worked for me also like no okay what are all the logistics of this so i think the bark from the tree is that like his only sustenance like we don't see him ever eating anything else and also like i don't like it's just so weird it like seems like it's being like i don't know like weird and like ambiguous for like the sake of it that it's like 
we have no idea who we don't even know we don't know if this is the same guy or not we don't know like how he found the tree we don't know how he ended up in this bubble with the tree going to a nebula like what's the like science or magic or whatever explaining all of that it's just like it's so confusing and it feels like it's a lot of assumptions like like, to be confusing like i was trying to work this out i'm like okay so after the monkey was cured and they're like wow this tree is amazing he like took the scientific records of wherever it was collected and went and got found the whole tree right. and just hung around it eating bark for centuries until technology advanced to the point where you could travel in a bubble to a nebula. And I'm like, and also that like the tree started dying. So he needed to travel in the bubble to the nebula the to the like, nebula. And then there, like, why was he bringing the tree to the <laughs> nebula? It was supposed to like bring the tree back. Yes. But like, how's the tree going to get back to earth? I was unclear. Is he gonna bring it I, back? I did not understand how he was steering the bubble. No. Uh, or if the bubble can be steered. Um, so is it science or is it magic? It seemed like it was more magic than science, really. Yeah. So I don't know. He was like floating, meditating a lot of the time when he was in there, aside from when he was like panically eating the bark of the dying tree. So I kind of thought this he was just like in his mind palace or something. Yeah, it's it was weird. It was very it was strange. So weird. Like, yeah, I kind of was thinking, I'm like, oh, maybe like after she died, he like went into like a solitary meditative life, and like now he lives like in silence and sits by a tree and like in her memory, like this is, you know, he's just like a a meditative trying to find peace kind of guy and then i'm like no that's not it that's something else is happening that would have made more sense really but they chose not to do that right it's it's weird and then he buries oh yeah and then he buries that weird i guess they said it was like a sweet gum seed on izzy's grave but i'm like that's like a random choice just any old yeah on her grave like I mean, I guess it's an interesting looking seed and like cinematically that makes sense. But I'm like, wouldn't it make more sense for him to plant like a sample of the tree of life on her grave? Like, I don't know. Like, right. I don't get why they made that choice. Yeah, it's it's all weird. I don't get why they made any choices. Um, And then it ends and he uh, accepts his death as he flies into a dying star. Yep. So, okay. The choices made by this movie also include an array of truly baffling, like, historical choices. Yeah. Let's, Let's hear about those. Okay. So first I wanted to talk about Shibalba. And I will note this is the area where like I am definitely not an expert, but I did some kind of cursory research. The nebulous stuff seems like it's like not exactly right, but not totally based on nothing. Mm-hmm. Like the Milky Way is supposed to be like the road to Shibalba. I don't know, like there's something about like star. Like sometimes it's like represented as being like in the like below the center of the earth, or sometimes it's being like in the sky. I don't know. It's I don't know. It seems I find it conflicting things and a lot of mythologies have conflicting ideas. So that yeah. seems like it doesn't totally come from nothing. I don't also but, know how much of like the original 
Mayan stories were written right. down in that time. So we're probably looking at like things historically remembered later, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like, I will also note that the information that we have, a lot of it comes from a Mayan mythological text called the, uh, the Popol Vuh, which my apologies, mm -hmm. I'm not a hundred percent. I'm pronouncing that, but I'm pronouncing that right. But it exists in like a transcript. It was like told orally to a Dominican priest who then transcribed it mm -hmm. in 1701. So quite a bit later. And I believe that is the earliest like actually written version that we have of this. So there's like that complication as well in terms of like whether our like what we know about this to what extent it is like accurate at all. Right. We have it in this very mediated form. And for, you know, and for all we know, it wasn't even something that was like, there was a consensus at the time. It might have been something where different people of the Mayans believed different things right. at the time. We don't know. Yeah. But based on what I was reading, at least, I find it really bizarre that, like, Rachel Weiss's takeaway is like, you know what seems fun and nice? The Mayan underworld, which is, like, not what I was getting out of things I was reading about the Mayan underworld. Yeah. So uh, Shivalba apparently translates to place of fright. Mm -hmm. The gods of the underworld are associated not only with death, but with sickness, starvation, and pain. Like there are these lords who are described as uh, their work was to make men swell and make pus gush forth from their legs and stain their faces yellow. That doesn't mm. sound super fun. There's also like lords whose work was to make men waste away until they were nothing but skin and bone and they died. Mm. <laughs> like doesn't seem like this is like a super great place. There's also all of this stuff about there being like tests and traps that are designed to like basically confuse, humiliate and injure people mm. in Shibalba. So these include, uh, there are realistic mannequins that people are supposed to greet, and then they'll be embarrassed when they realize they're not real people, they're mannequins. Okay. Um, I mean, that is embarrassing. That is embarrassing. Uh, then there's the, like, more overtly harmful that there are things that look like normal benches, and then you, like, sit down on them, and they're, like, stoves. Mm, okay. And are very hot. Yeah, if I think are... between the two, I'd pick being embarrassed. Yeah, I definitely pick that. I'd also yeah. take that over. Uh, there are like houses dedicated to specific kinds of trials, including Razor House, a house filled with blades and razors that move on their own. It's like Edward Scissorhands, the house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, so this doesn't sound like a fun people. place you want to go. No. Okay, so here's a question. Is the... <clears throat> All right. So like in Greek mythology, like the underworld is a many layered place and some parts of it were like horrible or punishments for being a bad person and some parts were like fine like it was it was everything it wasn't like oh the bad only the bad people go to the underworld it's like everyone who dies goes there and what your experiences there has to do with like what you were like in life and whether you pissed off certain gods and that so that was kind of my sense that this was sort of Similar. I can is supposed to be also like that's just where everyone goes when they die I and think like so. some of it's good and some of it's bad or was it just like yeah when you die it's a real shit show there's the house of razors there's the hot benches just that's what it is it kind of seems like everybody goes there and like some people get it worse than others but it doesn't mm. seem like anybody is having a great time okay well 
Fair enough. That's fine. So yeah, so getting that it's like this beautiful place to go in a star yeah. seems like really ignoring a lot of honestly the more fun parts of this. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least intellectually kind of like Razor House. Yeah. And like there is definitely, as I was kind of hinting at before, the like really kind of like weird element of like this like white lady who's like has this like appropriated and wrong version of Mayan mythology. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to think that about her, but that is definitely what I am thinking about her. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not what you're supposed to think about her, but you're also not like supposed to know that she's wrong about everything. And I also yeah. don't think Darren Aronofsky in 2006 is thinking about cultural appropriation. I doubt it. I mean, she also, she does like go to a museum. She does. Of some and kind I think she and goes and looks she... at an original And I think text. she said she like went there. Like, I think she said she like went somewhere and like looked at Mayan ruins. Yeah. So that's interesting, I guess. The museum that they're in, I don't, I don't know what museum it is. Like, I probably look it up, but it reminded me of the Field Museum in Chicago, and I wondered if mm. they had shot it there, but maybe it just looks like it to me. In any case, I don't remember there being any Mayan text there, so it's all kind of fiction anyway. Yeah, the whole concept of the search for the tree of life is also fiction, both in terms of the like way in which the conquistadors are presented as these like deeply idealistic individuals when in mm -hmm. fact they really just wanted like money. Yeah. Columbus is, you know, seeking an alternate trade route with the goal of like cutting out Muslim middlemen from the spice trade. Mm -hmm. Most of like the stories that like the conquistadors are like the like fanciful stories that they come up with to motivate their journeys are like rivers of gold. Right. I'm assuming, especially because the movie is called The Fountain, there's not actually a fountain in the movie other than the fountain pen. I'm assuming it's supposed to be inspired by the uh, alleged search for the fountain of youth. Mm -hmm. but this is something that gets like referenced in later sources about the expeditions of Juan Ponce de Leon but is not actually anything that shows up in like anything contemporary to his life it's all like later stories claiming that he was looking for this thing so there's not actually any evidence that he really was looking for it no and then also okay why okay why do they call the move in the fountain if you're looking for the tree of life Great and then question. also why wasn't he just looking for the Fountain of Youth? That would have made sense. I don't really... Is There's the fountain, nothing the about fountain the tree. Pen? I guess flying around with a tree seems cooler than flying around with a fountain. I don't know. That would, that would I feel like that would be kind of awkward if he was like in that bubble and there was just like a big-ass fountain. Yeah, maybe that's why. I don't know. Now I'm kind of looking to see if it says anywhere what, like, the inspiration is for the title of this movie. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, she just used, like, a fountain pen, but then again, why not just, like, fully lean into the fountain idea? Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. I don't get it. It's one of those mysteries that is going to remain unsolved. Yeah. And then there are, like, a series of bizarre choices <laughs> that are made surrounding, like, the depiction of 
the Iberian Peninsula in this period and Isabella and the Inquisition. So uh, first of all, I will say I might keep actually just using Spain as a shorthand. We're still like kind of a little early to actually really kind of talk about Spain Mm -hmm. because like what becomes Spain is created by the dynastic marriage between Isabella, who is like when they get married, the heir to Castile and uh, as I'll talk about more later, and mm-hmm. her husband, uh, Fernando, who is the heir to Aragon. And so it's like, those are the two kind of like big kingdoms that uh, comprise most of this geographical region of the Iberian Peninsula. And it's through their marriage that that like creates Spain. But at this period, really, it's still that like, essentially, it's like two different kingdoms that have like a shared set of monarchs, as mm-hmm. opposed to like a single Spain. But so they probably wouldn't have called the Americas New Spain, would they have? I don't think so, no. Hmm. Well, interesting. Yeah, so it's weird that it exists in sort of this sort of netherworld of like made up history. Right. Yeah, I don't think they use the term. It was, yeah, it's a little bit after this in terms of when I think this is meant to take place that they Mm -hmm. actually like used the term New Spain. One of the, like, locate so all of the, lo- I think most of the locations, by the way, are, like, sound, like, stages that they built for the film. Uh, but yeah. one of them looks like it's meant to be the Great Mosque of Cordoba, mm-hmm. which is this, like, really elaborate, like, gorgeous mosque built starting in 785 in Cordoba at the time when it is the capital of the Muslim-ruled then, like, emirate, um, and later they, like, declare a caliphate. So then that city gets conquered by the king of Castile in the 13th century, and the mosque is converted into a cathedral, which, like, is a common practice at the time. Sure. And there are, like, various, like, additions that they then make to, like, kind of, like, make things, like, look a little bit more Christian in some cases. Okay. It is a weird place for Isabella to be hanging out. So, like, okay, so they have an itinerant court, right? So they're, like, so sometimes they would have been in Cordoba, but if they're in Cordoba, they're not going to be, like, just hanging out in the cathedral taking meetings. They have, like, a palace, which is, like, where they hang out. Um, I mean, I think this is purely a cinematic choice, I guess. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's that, like, it's a pretty building that is in what is now Spain. So good enough, I guess. Yep. But it is also, I think, especially interesting because it's this building that really, I think, like, intensely visually represents, like, the, like, Christian conquest of Muslim territories and then, like, appropriation of a Muslim past, which uh, is especially, like, interesting given the extent to which this film uh, aggressively ignores the existence of Jews and Muslims. Oh, um, yeah. Which is especially relevant given that this film just aggressively doesn't know what the Spanish Inquisition is. I mean, they did seem to conceptually understand that torture was part of it. Yes. So they got that and they also knew it was in Spain. Yep. But that seems about where it ends. And it had something to do with religion. Something. Something. Who could say what? Yeah. So... To share it's not her. like you could read a book and find out. Oh no, God forbid. So if they had bothered to read a book, they would have learned that the kind of background for the Spanish Inquisition is that if you go back to the year 1391, there's a series of massacres of Jews. As a result, there are mass conversions of Jews. 
and their sincerity is doubted. There's also like a lot of discomfort with their integration into Christian society. This is where mm -hmm. we see the development of the Olympieta de Sangre or blood purity laws where converts and their descendants can't like hold certain like high political and church offices. Mm. Cool. So yeah. And the official rationale for the Spanish Inquisition mm -hmm. in 1478, which is um, Isabella and Ferdinand asking the Pope, basically, can we do our own Inquisition? Because previously there had been an Inquisition, but it would have been subject to the authority of the Pope. Is that basically they're like, we have this unique problem that we have all of these like converts and their descendants who are secretly practicing Judaism, which like, because you... The church technically says we don't think forced conversion is a good thing, but they also say that once it happens, you're stuck. And so then once you have already been converted, like then practicing Judaism is a form of heresy. Mm. So it had always been subject to the Inquisition. And so they say basically like we have this unique problem in our area that nobody else has. So like we need our own Inquisition to handle it. Sure, sure. <laughs> So, like, the main targets of the Spanish Inquisition are, like, crypto-Jewish converts. Mm -hmm. And this will also come to include uh, crypto-Muslims, because the Muslims are then, uh, you know, forced to either convert or leave in the early 16th century. Sure. Fun fact, I did some research into my last name, and it is a, na a last name that was popular among Sephardic Jews... Oh. After during the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's the history because I don't, I've yeah. never done any ancestry work, but I yeah. thought that was cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very possibly know. some like converso background. Yeah. Um, and like you actually like hear things like still all the time about like, uh, like families who, I mean, there's also families who just like, you know, have like basically kind of like see themselves fully as Catholic, but there's also like, people who like have for like hundreds of years maintained like Jewish practices that they don't know are Jewish. Right. Like lighting candles on Fridays. And yeah. Stuff like yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's always cool when you come across those stories of people who are like, huh, we always lit candles every Friday and I never knew why. You're like, well, <laughs> yeah. Turns out. So yeah. But you know, because it's like a lot of people, it's like a lot of people convert like in the context of these massacres and then there's like more kind of pressures to convert and then there's the expulsion of the jews from spain in 1492 also under Isabella and ferdinand and so you know i mean they did a lot of conversion yep taking meetings in the mosque asking yep. questions busy people got a lot going yep. on but yeah, so this film just intensely does not acknowledge that Jews or Muslims exist or are the primary targets of the Inquisition. I also find it hilarious that like it like has the Inquisitor being like mwahaha, the like the heretics, and the heretics are like people who are loyal to the Queen, which is like okay. Yeah, and I mean, again, it makes this all weirder. Like, if we could imagine some alternate history where there was a small cult of people who were obsessed with immortality. And right. like, this isn't very Catholic. Like that kind of makes sense, maybe. But then it's not even that. It's just like the queen and a few friends who are like, let's go find this tree and live forever. Right. And then they just like get 
tortured. And so like, then he has this whole thing, like, ha ha ha, I get to like take their lands. And it's like, well, the lands of convicted heretics are confiscated, but they become crown property. So they've yeah. just gone to Isabella. <laughs> so yeah, the call's coming from inside the house. This makes no sense. And like, there's also all of this language, right? About how the Inquisition is like pitting cross against crown and targeting Isabella, which makes no sense because Isabella literally started and oversee the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But they did shoot her very beautifully in that beautiful building. Yep. She looked with some very, very pretty light pretty. and some very pretty clothes. So yeah. that's nice. In the kind of uh, baffling yes. move that now Isabella, who uh, did not like Jews, is now being played by a Jewish woman. So that's fun. Well, maybe that's just like a an fu to that. I don't know. Right? I don't know. But I'm kind of like, did anybody know that? Um, no. I mean, maybe sometimes you just accidentally do the right thing. Yeah. Um, also, like the person who actually was like the first person named as a Grand Inquisitor, Tomasta Torquemada, is like literally like Isabella's bestie. Mm. Like she was his personal, she was her, he was her personal confessor. And then like she was like, you should be the Grand Inquisitor now because she's the one who like decided it was the Grand Inquisitor. You know Inquisitor. what you're doing. I trust this you. This is just like, this is just like a wild, wild series of choices. And for, for- to what end, I guess, is the question. Like, I'm like, it doesn't... Yeah. It's not like, oh, but this is the, you know, this is the keystone that holds the plot all together. It's like, this is not a, right. a tight story that required this. No. Went in that direction for reasons that we may never understand. And it's kind of like, I feel like it honestly would have been easier if they just, like, did, like, fantasy people. Like, the fact that she is this, like, very, very specific person who has this very, very specific relationship to the Inquisition makes it so much weirder. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, if they just made up some other Queen of Spain or anywhere, really, it would have seemed a little less strange. Yeah, I, I think it actually, yeah, just, like, having it be complete fantasy, I feel like, would have made it easier. Historia et Veritas. But related to that, I also wanted to like talk a bit more about Isabella and also the like the other thing that I think is maybe kind of part of this is that there is also this like weird, super positive like girl power narrative Mm -hmm. and portrayal around Isabella. So basically, like, when she's born, the assumption is, like, not that she's going to be queen. She's got, because she's got two brothers. So one, the half-brother becomes king. He's King Enrique IV. Enrique IV is, like, not doing great. He's got a kind of complicated relationship with the nobility. And then this accusation is made that his daughter who is his only heir is not actually his daughter, but that she is actually the daughter of a his wife and then like the royal favorite this guy uh, Bertrand de la Cueva and so mm. she is actually like those women like Juana the daughter is like nicknamed like La Beltraneja um, in reference to her like reported wow. real father and like who knows right um, I mean they didn't have DNA tests so it's just sort of a yep. crazy thing to put out there did she yep. look a lot like him where did they come up with this or was it just like an accusation like- to throw out there to stir the shit it kind of seems like it's just stirring the shit 
I mean, like, it kind them. of seems like it's like because like he's sort of like around a lot and they're like, that's weird. And, and it probably mm. also is like one of those things that's kind of circular and that it seems like maybe they're kind of like don't love him anyway. Yeah. Um, And like have decided that they would like rather the throne go to like the other brother. So they end up like making this compromise that Juana La Beltraneja gets disinherited and the brother is going to inherit and then the brother dies. And then eventually they make the compromise that Isabella instead of her niece is going to be like the next ruler of Castile. And part of this, I mean, I guess this is all before like they had, you know, like the real housewives. And so they just had to create their own drama. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, the, like, the royals are always, like, a good source of, like, weird drama, basically. Yeah. They had a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, yeah. So then they're basically trying to deal with who Isabella's gonna bury, and there's, like, a whole agreement that, like, she has to get her half-brother's consent, but that, like, she also is not gonna be, like, forced into marrying somebody if mm-hmm. she doesn't want to. So he's trying to marry her to the king of Portugal at some point, mostly because, like, the plan is then that, like, she'll marry the king of Portugal, but then, like, his daughter is going to, his now disinherited daughter is going to marry the king of Portugal's son. And so, like, this kind of, like, dual alliance. Okay. And, and, like, all, which I always, like, find interesting because it's, like, oh, like, Spain is, like, in terms of, like, the fact that, like, Spain with its current geographical boundaries is, like, not inevitable and had she, like, married the king of Portugal, like, he he wanted her to, like, maybe we would have, like, an entity which was, like, Portugal and, like, Castile, the kind of, like, Western kingdom, and then, like, Aragon might have, like, stayed its own thing and Mm. the Catalan independence movement would have been much happier. Interesting. What could have Um, been? Yeah. So then she basically, like, secretly negotiated with some of her advisors a marriage instead uh, with Fernando of Aragon, um, so the heir to the throne of that kingdom. And they actually married in secret in 1469 with support from a, like, local cardinal, Rodrigo Borgia, who would become, like, the the Borgia Pope, Alexander VI, who is, like, famous for being, like, a not very churchy pope mm. and having a lot of illegitimate children cool yep fun guy so why did she choose fernando like j- were they just she thought he was a better choice for political reasons or she just liked him better or do we even know it kind of seems like there's maybe a little bit of both i mean it's sort of hard to tell but it seems like she like thought it was a better political choice in terms of like having an alliance like basically like i think she wanted an alliance kind of like against her brother Mm. Um, and it also seems like I don't know they were sort of like close in age and there is like some indication that like she actually was like interested in him so you know who knows but good for her yep they are by the way second cousins great so they share why they need people permission is that how that works yes 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 they share super related but no yep Yep, worse has happened in like the various lineages of the uh, sure. the kingdoms and what became Spain. Like there are multiple like there are definitely like first cousin marriages like somewhere up in there and their ancestors. Yeah, so um, it's probably not the first crossover in those lines. Oh no! Oh no! No no! So. She becomes queen. He eventually becomes king. Everything's kind of a bit messy. They're fighting with Portugal, but. You know, they kind of figure it out. And there is definitely this kind of like 
girl boss, like she like negotiated her own marriage and like fought to become queen and like fought to hold her throne kind of narrative that you mm-hmm. get about Isabella, which then tends to conveniently ignore the like ideological stuff of like shared by Ferdinand and Isabella, which kind of boils down to like make Spain Christian again. Cool. Yep. So they actually will eventually come to be known as uh, the Catholic monarchs, Los Reyes Católicos, um, because of this like ambition to like Christianize Spain better. Mm. So this involved first that uh, this involved first the Inquisition that they like said like we want our own Inquisition so we can like better like root out crypto Judaism. This is also the point where the a lot of the Iberian Peninsula had for a long time been under Muslim rule going back to the year 711. Mm. Um, by the 13th century, a lot of that had ended up under Christian rule uh, through various like conquest campaigns. But in the late 15th century, we've still got one Muslim kingdom remaining, the uh, Nasrid Emirate of Granada in the south. It is like the two of them actually deciding to like embark on a real campaign of conquest, which finally then like brings that to an end. Um, Mm. So uh, 1492 is kind of like the banner year actually (laughs) for uh, Ferdinand and Isabella. King Muhammad XII uh, um, of Granada surrenders at the end of 1491 and they officially take the city in like the beginning of 1492, which means that it's like, yeah. Just getting shit done. Getting shit done. So like, yeah, this is the first time since the year 711 that all of the Iberian Peninsula is now under Christian rule. Wow. The surrender treaty initially offers very generous terms to Jews and Muslims. Uh, This will not work out very well. Mm. The Jews get shafted already in 1492, as I'll discuss briefly. Um, Hard to believe. Yeah, Muslims, there's an uprising in 1502, at which point basically they're given also the choice between conversion and expulsion. Yeah. For everybody. And it's shortly after this that they authorize Columbus's expedition, which is also actually really about basically like cutting Muslims out of trade routes. Cool. In terms of like what they want to do. So, like, part of that was just to, like, go the other way to avoid moving through Muslim territory? Exactly. Like, as as I often comment on, like, nobody actually thought the Earth was flat. Everybody had, like, basically known the Earth was round for ages. The issue is that, like, actually, most people, like, Columbus claimed that, like, he'd figured out that basically the, like, circumference of the Earth was, like, smaller than people thought it was, which it turned out, in fact, he was wrong about. Um, it was quite, quite a bit. He was quite wrong, but, like, that was basically his claim is, like, I can go around this way and, like, find an alternate trade route to, like, buy spices in the East without having to, like, travel through Muslim territory and rely basically on Muslim middlemen. Okay. I don't know a whole lot about Christopher Columbus as a personal choice, but I have a hard time believing that he both knew a ton about sailing and about, like, calculating things about the size of the earth i mean he was clearly wrong so he was clearly wrong but like somehow he must have been a good charming talker because he convinced people to give him a lot of money to kind of do some weird shit so yep of course you know in establishing his like math or astronomy teacher was like shaking their head dude come on come on and they're like, oh, somebody like got suckered into Columbus's like stupid expedition. Yeah. 
And I think actually he did have like a couple of like tries. Like I think he like approached somebody like a couple other rulers first and they were like, nah. They're like, um, I don't think so. Yeah. And then like, I think to some extent, like they kind of signed on for this because it sort of dovetailed with like the kind of thing that they were interested in doing. So they're like, yeah, we'll give them some money for this. I will note then, of course, also like among the many, many horrible things that happen in the context of like the establishment of like Spanish colonialism in the Americas. This also like included that like the Inquisition gets imported to the Spanish Americas where like there are all of these like indigenous peoples who have been converted often either like by force or like without like very clear information about what conversion like legally and spiritually meant. Right. Cause like, my understanding at least is that like for a lot of people, right. Like they were like, Oh cool. It's like a ritual. And then like, I'll like believe in your God, but because like they're polytheists, they don't realize that that's like exclusively. I'm only allowed to believe in your God. They're like, sure. That can be like one of the 30 people. I'm yeah. Like, that sounds they're like, fine. yeah, that guy seems great. Like, well, Adam's to the list. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then they like get like tortured and executed because that's what they're doing. Cause like they have like this kind of like religious, like syncretism and are like continuing to like also worship their own gods. Well, like you feel, I feel like you left out some important things about how this works. Yep. Yep. And of course the other fun thing that happens in 1492 mm-hmm. because of our besties, Ferdinand and Isabella mm-hmm. is that they expel the Jews from Spain and the official justification for the expulsion, by the way, is that like this inquisition thing, like hasn't been successful in that, like the conversos are still secretly practicing Judaism. And we think that this is because like the actual Jews are like a bad influence on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> So we should just kick them out and then they'll be Christian, which also didn't work out. That is very surprising because that was airtight logic right there. Yeah. And like the Spanish Inquisition remains like actively in operation uh, until 1834, except for a brief period under like when Napoleon is like fucking around in Spain, when it gets like temporary, temporarily abolished and then reinstated and then like actually abolished in 1834. Good God, that is much longer than I had thought. Yep. That's yep. A very long time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I think I I I would have to look up the dates. I did not actually look up the dates and include this, but like for at certainly at least quite a bit of that time, it is also operating in like the Spanish ruled Americas. Ugh. Yeah. And like just to do it, there are like several thousand people who are executed and thousands more who are like tried and subject to judicial torture and deprived of their property and like publicly and virtually humiliated i mean one thing that's amazing is like in california you know like the el camino real is like still like there are there are still long stretches of roads Mm -hmm. that are el camino real Mm -hmm. there are lots of places in california that are named for like priests and people who are part of Mm -hmm. this movement and like you know i haven't done heavy research into these people but i'm like like these like statues and places named for these people were these uh like also like torturing people like do we need to talk about that out of yep like i mean honestly probably like but yeah so like the fact that this movie is like yay isabella and yay conquistadors is uh deeply problematic so it's ignoring a bunch of things terrible things that happened and also included including some just sort of neutral components of history 
and then just throwing a bunch of other stuff and then confusing the message and then somehow making it seem good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm that's kind a, of just that's like... That's an interesting approach to history. It really is one of the... Like, there's some movies where I think they did research and then decided they didn't care. This is a movie where I kind of don't think anybody did any research. Hmm. I think they'd heard, like, of the Spanish Inquisition and of the name Isabella and knew they had some connection and then just said, cool, we're going to run with this. I like thinking that they maybe had access to, like, a couple of, like, children's, like, books like books for like right graders but that were also written in like the 1940s yes so they were like yeah kind of wrong and kind of glorifying this whole thing and also yep. just like a lot of creative license and that's all the research they did is they like i found this textbook from the 40s about yeah. the spanish inquisition and i have an idea for a movie right right yeah he's yeah phone. but it's just it is so baffling to me I did, I will say that I do love any movie that takes beautiful historic things like recreating the mosque and recreating mm -hmm. old outfits. Yeah. And even while stereotypical, like even some of the, like the Mayan costuming was mm -hmm. like visually very interesting. And so yeah. I'm a sucker for good costuming and scenery. And so I enjoyed those elements yeah. Uh, while acknowledging that these probably have very little to do with anything that ever might have right. happened ever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it was, it actually wasn't a lot of ways. Like it was a very pretty movie. Yeah. It just like seemed weirdly, it was a very pretty movie that seemed like it was like trying to be very deep, but also like lacked substance. Like if this was a great British baking show, I feel like they would say this movie has style over substance. Yeah, I think so. I also felt like this movie really was obsessed with Rachel Weiss's like neck hairs. Like it zoomed in on her neck. Like she had the very short hair presumably right. because of cancer. And they zoomed in on her neck hairs many times. And the tree also has the has the hairs. Yes. That they also zoom in on because she's kind of connected to the tree, sort of. Yeah, I still don't, totally I don't think, think makes I one hundred percent grasp the plot. Like, I guess it kind of reminded me of this is spoiler for the haunting of Hill House, which I don't know who's worried about that on this podcast. But in any case, did you see the haunting of Hill House? I I have seen it, and so, it's been out for long enough that I think we're okay. Yeah, fast forward so, two minutes. You if know, you the one I guess. sister is haunted by the bent neck bent neck lady right got to be herself right which is creepy and upsetting and a very interesting plot point yeah yeah probably and it's well done that sequence honestly yeah but the idea that idea of you interfering with yourself in the past and the present and the future mm -hmm. that element of him tommy slash tomas slash space right. man Spaceman coming and interfering in his past as the conquistador to turn the tide of the past yeah. so that he can exist in the future. And then him being haunted by his past of like turning his back on his yeah. wife at the time. Those are interesting elements and they could have gone way further with it that and that would yeah. have been a movie that I would have enjoyed a lot more than this one. Right. Like, I think there were really interesting concepts 
it just didn't actually make any sense. No. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Fabula Nostra. This is where I have us come up with an idea for uh, a film inspired by this one that we might want to see in the world, uh, perhaps in this case, instead of this one. I was kind of struggling. Um, I feel like this film is just like too weird for me to feel like I personally am going to like engage with like what I would exactly do with that. So I really was just kind of thinking about like, what actually do I wish they did if they did a movie about the Inquisition? Because it is very frustrating to me that there is like this weird reluctance to like engage at all with like what the Inquisition actually was and who actually was were the targets of the Inquisition. Like that weirdly gets like left out of things. But on the other hand, like there's kind of not like a non-downer version of like a movie about the Inquisition. Yeah. So yeah. So kind of like what I decided, which has nothing to do really with this movie, is that really what I want is like kind of like the inglory like inglorious bastards for the Spanish Inquisition. Mm-hmm. I just like full that. on like revenge fantasy. I would love that and maybe mixed with a little bit of like, you know, the Sofia Coppola Marie Antoinette movie. Mm-hmm. Where it kind of I that movie was interesting. A it was beautiful, but B it presented the this historical person as like a character who is like kind of just too young and put in a weird circumstance and like uh-huh. and I think a movie that would kind of make Isabella a lot more human and show like mm-hmm. the interesting parts of her along with like the cruel or like conniving right. of her and showing her as like a fully fleshed out seemingly very strange person with a lot Mm -hmm. of power and ability to like change the course of history Mm -hmm. i'd watch that that sounds good yeah yeah no and like i do i think it would be interesting to yeah like get something like that that isn't like celebratory yeah right like that's sort of like well this was a person who did some fucked up stuff but also yeah. like an interesting person of her time and like mm-hmm. certainly like we make a lot of movies about men who are interesting and who are not good people right one about yeah in a while right yeah like from what i understand like i i didn't actually see oppenheimer because i'm sick of watching movies about men True. um but like that's kind of my sense right of what they went for with oppenheimer is that mm-hmm. like it's like meant to be nuanced and like he's a central character, but like, it's not like celebratory. Yeah. And yeah, I think like that could be interesting. And like, it is certainly the case, right. That like when we make movies about women, it is much more like there's much more of a tendency to feel like they have to be likable. Yeah. Whereas like men, you can have like the nuance and the complication and they can like be kind of shitty people, but they're still worth making a movie about. Yeah. You can have Walter White's and Dr. House's and that's right. Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think too, if, even if we kind of split the baby and gave her some of the narrative ownership of the movie and Mm -hmm. allowed the Izzy Isabel character to be a more, a person who's also Mm -hmm. experiencing time crossover and having conflicting feelings about their existence would also just be more interesting and not even just from a feminist point of view, but also from mm-hmm. a storytelling point of view, yeah. a lot more of cool things about why are these people like 
existing in multiple points in mm-hmm. history and time and yeah. what does that mean and what is it like to be someone where that would be true because mm-hmm. that is that also something frustrating about this film right is that like Isabella in particular really just kind of feels like an object yeah like she doesn't really have like a personality it's like they do a little bit more with but really like she kind of seems ultimately like she's like a vehicle for her husband to like work out his feelings about death yes and also to that point he never really reckons with or even resolves that you know she gets to this point where she's very at peace with who she is Mm -hmm. and what's happening to her and she is ready and he fights her to the very end on this and I don't think that that's even a unique thing, but right. he never even seems to show any like remorse or questioning of right. how hard he fought her and denied her the peace that she wanted. Like he do- he doesn't seem yeah. to that thought never crosses his mind. Instead, he just goes full insane obsession with immortality. Right. I mean, I guess the closest you get, right, is that you have him like kind of like going back and doing or imagining that he's doing it differently. But I mean, one can argue that that kind of comes from remorse, but he's not really like expressing remorse. And it kind of seems like a way to not actually like deal with like any feelings of remorse that he just like fixes it in his head. It, Yeah, it's very weird. It is very strange. And then similarly, I think it's interesting that she's sort of haunting him, that he keeps seeing mm-hmm. her coming and asking him to go for a walk with her. Yeah. I would love it if they had also even like teased that out and had her mm-hmm. sort of like haunting him in different ways at different points. Yeah. And even if it had like a tinge of something more sinister, maybe even mm-hmm. I think would be interesting. Like, yeah. In a way, she. I mean, this is actually an interesting, you know, like in a way she is immortal because he hasn't forgotten her and he is immortal, right? right? And so she's hanging on because he can't let her go and can't forget and also can't die until he stops eating this bark, obviously. But what is it like for her to like continually exist as a memory and like yeah, to give her a little bit more agency and as like a memory and not just like the mm-hmm. same loop playing it over and over but to like morph and change and for it to mean different things to him or for to like right. give her some intention like it's not just something mm-hmm. that's happening to him it's something she's doing to him like that would be interesting that would add and, like yeah a lot of layers of making her a more interesting character and also making his yeah. feelings about it more interesting i mean especially also in the context of like that kind of like moment with the walk right is very much so like i mean you can very much read that as like him grappling with or like her pushing him on the fact that like he was a shitty partner he was you know your wife is gonna die and you can't take like 20 minutes from like your job to take a walk with her like calm down like like in the middle of the night like jesus dude also like from a scientific point of view like he was nowhere near curing cancer no she was nearly dead like just as a scientist you should be able to look at yourself and go this is not happening we're not going to figure it out in time for me to save her 
We've got days yeah. and I'm at best months from finding anything. Especially because like my understanding of like clinical trials, et cetera, is that like, even if like tomorrow, even if like that is the case, right? Even if like, he's like, cool, I have now found the cure for cancer. There's like a pretty lengthy amount of time from like, I did this, like I successfully completed like this trial in one monkey to we will do clinical trials on human patients and we're going to get one of those human patients to be my wife. I mean, I think he was fully willing to bypass wow. the IRB. That is that is true. He absolutely just yeah, that's true. He absolutely just injected that bark in her head. Yeah. Yeah. I, he was ready to do that, I'm sure. I don't that think that is he was, true. I don't think he, you know, at some point he stopped caring about the glory of like mm-hmm. being the person who figured out immortality and was just like, no, I'm gonna make my wife live forever. Right. I'm gonna cure her brain cancer. So I don't think he was too concerned with the glory so much as he was with trying to save her, but like yeah. save her so what he can ignore her some more. Like right? I don't... no, like in there, it was such a weird relationship. It is. And then also he loses his ring. And I just, I don't even know or get why that is important. Like, like realizes... it clearly is supposed to be symbolic, but I'm not quite sure what it's symbolic of. Carelessness. I don't know. Right. I don't know. Not paying enough attention to his wife while she's sitting right there in front of like, because it really like he just seems like I'm kind of like, why do you want to bother like saving her so bad? You seem annoyed by her 80% of the time. Yeah. It seemed like a big part of his deal was just denying anything she said. Yeah. I can't feel hot and cold. Yes, you can. I'm dying. No, you're not. Here's like all of this stuff that I've been like engaging with intellectually to like process dying. I don't care. No, thanks. I want you to finish my book. Why? I'm not a writer. I'm a scientist. You know, I can barely pay attention to you. You think I'm going to write the fucking book? Get real. Right? Uh, I don't know why she would think he would write it. He didn't even understand any of what she was doing or talking about. No, no. I'm like surprised that he read it. I mean, he should. She should have given it to his boss. She'd be more likely to like yeah. finish it and do it justice. Honestly. Yeah. She also seems she to know a good her eulogy. Better. Yeah, she, like she's the one who's giving the eulogy, not her husband. I mean, sometimes someone who's the closest to the person doesn't give the eulogy because it's too emotionally yeah. hot, and that makes sense. But then, the best you can do is your, your husband's, husband's boss. Employer. Just seems very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Never been to a funeral like that. Yeah, no. Really weird. And it's also like it seemed like the only people who were there were like people he worked with. Yeah, all the people from the lab. I'm like, does she I'm have like, doesn't she have friends? Or siblings or right? other writers she knows? Like, what does she do in life? Like, did she ever have a job? I mean, she, she, like... she was always a writer and then she got really sick. Yeah. But we don't know. But so, like, is, you know, would there be like, you know, her editor who maybe was there, right? Or like, right? Like, if they'd actually People like she... engaged more with like who she is, then there are more like things they could do in terms of like engaging with like other relationships that she's had. But because they did it, the only people that she knows are like her husband's colleagues. Right. They apparently have no friends in common. <laughs> nope. Or like his friend, like her only friends are his friends because she has no connections. 
apparently she like didn't uh in touch with anyone from her mfa program i don't know right yeah no it's just it is it is weird that she has no friends or family yeah no one comes to visit her while she's dying right the only person who comes to visit her is her husband's boss right not even her husband barely yeah yeah her husband barely comes to visit her it's it's so weird this poor woman (sighs) so no wonder she was so ready to die just like i've had it it's like i am good like this is this is just annoying at this point and I think we can both agree that probably we're like rating like Hugh Jackman as a husband pretty low. But uh, we also then uh, rate this film on a scale from one to five based on whatever subjective criteria we see fit. Hmm. Uh, I feel like on a good day, this movie is a 2.5. I'd probably round down to a two. Yeah. Um, they took a lot of ideas. Uh-huh. And it was visually interesting. And they yeah. took a lot of good actors and then made a real mess of it. So yeah. I cannot say I would tell someone to watch this movie. I would say no. if you're on an airplane and you're falling asleep, you could put this on and it'll sort of And then you'd fall asleep, asleep maybe. Yeah. Um, and then you have really weird dreams. Yeah. If you're very into Rachel Weiss's neck hairs, boy, do I have the movie for you. How do you feel about hairs on trees? Ooh. <laughs> now we're talking. I think I'd also settle on a two. Like, I sort of give some points for the category that I call, like, weird historical films. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate, I have some appreciation for movies that are set in, like, the medieval early modern period that are not just, like, here are, like, 12 gray battle scenes. Mm-hmm. So, like, points there, but the film in itself and in its historical choices, I just found, like, baffling. So I think a two is, like, the best I could do. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to pick these historical characters and these sort of, like, actually very, like, interesting and rich points in history with a lot going on, you could have done a lot more with it. Yeah. And, and then also say, just, like, you could have done a lot more with just treating these characters as rich humans with inner lives who are more right. interesting than you made them out to be. Especially because like this is a 90 minute film like and like a lot of the film is like lingering looks on neck hair. Like I feel like they they had time to do more character development. Chewing bark while floating in space like they could have trimmed that a little bit and made a little more time for some like world building character building yeah and also i just like i simply like beg of filmmakers who are going to make things related to the inquisition like i simply beg for you to just like actually know what the inquisition is yeah like i'm beg- I'm, I'm begging you filmmakers of the world like just please just please start like read like read even like the wikipedia article on the spanish inquisition would have like given done like a significantly better job it's true it's true if they had just read the wikipedia article wikipedia existed at that time by the way it wouldn't have been yeah. that hard yeah yeah like you know i i don't tell students to like rely on wikipedia but honestly like if they'd relied on wikipedia 
as like their sole research on what the Spanish Inquisition is for this movie, that would have been an improvement. I mean, Wikipedia is always a jumping off point. Like, oh, I've yeah, learned a few facts. Right. Now I can go learn some more, but I have a general idea of what's probably right. true. And, and now there's maybe like some citations that are in the Wikipedia article. Like, great. Even if they'd stopped right there, it would have been bad. More accurate info than this movie presented with uh, to us. Yeah. Yeah. And there you have it. Yep. So Marissa, thank you so much for coming and uh, talking about this weird movie. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed wondering what the hell happened with you together. Yeah, yeah. I think, I was going to say, I think we made progress on figuring out the plot. I'm not totally sure that's true, but I don't think that's our fault. I mean, who's to say? I yeah. We may have solved it. Maybe. Maybe we did. Or maybe we didn't. I don't know. Maybe we got it all wrong. Uh, so are there places where the listeners could find you on the internet? Yes, I am on threads as, as mad mod world, um, which is where I occasionally, I, what is it called when it's not Twitter anymore? You tweet. I write as myself. That's such a good question. I used to have a like anonymous Twitter back in the day. But when that, when it exploded into X, I was like, all right, I'll do a fresh start as me. So I occasionally write as myself there. You can also find me on like the Facebooks, I guess. And yeah, uh, other than that, I'm just a person who likes weird movies. So I enjoyed liking slash not liking this one. Yeah. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review. I'll read new five-star reviews on future episodes. We are still in the stage where because I am very busy, I have not yet transitioned from the disaster fire that is Twitter slash X to a social media platform that is hopefully less of a disaster. So for now, you can follow the podcast on Twitter slash X at Media Evil Pod. You can also join the Facebook group and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Iftdecker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. So Marissa, thank you again for trying to figure out this movie with me. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Bye. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>